This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! Welcome to a Men in Blazers BlazerCon pod special. This weekend, the Bundesliga wakes from its winter hibernation, returning with a full slate of games. It all kicks off Friday with league leaders and tour de force Bayern Munich travelling to Hamburg, a game which will be broadcast here in the United States 2.30pm Eastern Time on the wonderful Fox Sports 1. The topic of the Bundesliga's growing international profile was one I had the chance to discuss with the league's chief executive officer, Mr Christian Seifert, during a special BlazerCon panel back in November. We discuss the pros and cons of Bayern's perpetual dominance, German clubs' unique bond with the communities they represent, the secrets behind the electric atmosphere at stadiums from Dortmund to Darmstadt, and the Bundesliga's plan to grow their brand in the United States of America. Here he is, Mr. Christian Seifert. Oh, Christian, willkommen. I want to acknowledge... Guten Tag. Guten Tag, Chris. Yeah. I'm so thrilled that you are here. I want to talk about the Bundesliga with you. The English Premier League is the most watched league in the world. La Liga would say we have the two best players in the world. If you were asked to describe the Bundesliga in a similar style, what would you say? I mean, the Bundesliga stands for very fast attacking football, for tactical excellence, incredible atmosphere in German stadiums. And in the last 25 years, the Bundesliga was the highest scoring top leagues of all European leagues. In the last season, we had 2.75 goals per game. And altogether, I think um, the Bundesliga shows what football is all about. But at the end, and this is the good thing in, in the media landscape in 2015, you can watch practically every league and every game, and um, therefore each fan can decide. There's something that fascinates me about the Bundesliga, really why I wanted to talk to you, is because I mean, we're all here in the United States because football has become so global. But in becoming so global, football has changed from the football I used to watch growing up in the 80s at Everton. But there was a great quote of yours that describes the role football plays in Germany. You call it the social role. You said here football is one of the last activities which really brings people together across all ages and all classes. Politics doesn't do it. The church doesn't make it happen. If we want to have our whole society come together, we do so in our football stadium. Sounds like I would run for president, isn't it? Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, but I I truly believe. I mean, we made a research, and and if 75% of all Germans said that the Bundesliga belongs to Germany and it's important for the society and it strengthens the relation between people in a city and people all together because they believe and follow the same club, then this is a certain kind of an obligation. But in the same way, I have to admit that Sometimes it's not easy to fulfill this role because, on the other hand, football is also a global game, a lot of money. Not every player who kisses his shirts plays for love. Sometimes they play for money. Don't say that. And this is why it's hard to keep the balance between this social stuff that the Bundesliga is in Germany and between uh, being one of the uh, best leagues in the world. It's not just that tension about the 
the finances, warping football. It's also that global local tension that I'm interested in talking. Your league has so many unique traits. It's got the highest average attendance in the world of football. And in the world of sport, I love this, only the NFL has better averages than Bundesliga, and your number keeps growing. You have 25,000 supporters in Borussia Dortmund's famed South Stand. One yeah. terrace, 25,000. That's two Bournemouth, the entire stadium, in one terrace. The Gelbe Wand. Sorry yeah. if I'm saying that badly, but I do love practicing my German. <laughs> but at the same time with that locality, when all these idiosyncrasies, this league of values, you balance your competitive strength on the field, you keep this authentic culture around the clubs. Would it be fair to say that you, you choose to sacrifice revenue at the local level for authenticity? Surely it is um, in some case, and this is what I, what I mean when I said it's, sometimes it's hard to keep the balance. For instance, um, as you said, Borussia Dortmund, 80,000 people, and when you stand there right in the middle of this yellow wall, you pay $17 per ticket, 17 and they could easily <laughs> and it's more or less in, 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 uh, in every stadium. Jörg is here, a good friend of mine, he's at the executive board of Bayern Munich. They charge, I guess, 12 or 15 euro for, for some tickets. In a lot of stadia you have kindergartens, you have family blocks where families together with two kids, they pay less than they would usually pay for four tickets or whatever. But the backside of the medal is that Borussia Dortmund, for instance, with 80,000 people in average watching every game, makes per year more than $75 million less revenue compared, for instance, to Manchester United. And $75 million, maybe in two years you can play a 16-year-old player for, but <laughs> today um, you can buy the one or another really good player. And, and to close this gap, is what I mean when I say it's sometimes a tough balance. So I mean, I want to talk about that because I mean, when you hear about the $17 ticket in the middle of the yellow wall, most English clubs would be thinking that would make a very large corporate box. Yeah. <laughs> we can upsell. I mean, how delicate a balance and how do you navigate that? Because we're all here because football is now measured globally. Global football is inherently super commercial. So first of all, I have to say we are not in a position like the NFL or the MLS, so it's a, it's a complete free decision of the clubs. There is not an obligation that they are not allowed to raise prices or whatever, it's their free decision. But I would not reduce the Bundesliga to the cheap ticket prices. You should not forget, you see there are some of the best teams in the world, some of the best players in the world, 16 World Cup winners. And at the last World Cup, for instance, um, the Bundesliga sent it over 70 players. Uh, to the World Cup. Together with the Premier League, by the way, 25% of all the players of the World Cup play in, in the Bundesliga and in the Premier League, half of it in each of the leagues. So it's, it shows that you can be one of the best leagues in the world and fulfill some kind of a social role. But as I said, um, it's, it's getting tough. English football, when I grew up, used to all be about putting bums on seats. That was the business model. Every two weeks, full stadium, that's fantastic. And then TV rights money came in. They couldn't believe how much came in. It was like, that's it, we can't take any more money. And then the foreign mo uh, television money started to rain down and oh, stop it, you're killing us. And now the big clubs, they care as much, you could say, in England, about the fans in Los Angeles and in Chicago as they do about the fans in their own neighborhood. You've got the neighborhood part right. Can both hold? And how have you managed to try and hold on to that hyper-locality and begun to engage America at the same time? 
yeah, we need to work harder. <laughs> of course, it's one of the biggest challenges for the Bundesliga is not only for Bayern Munich, also for Borussia Dortmund and some other clubs to get fans all around the globe more used to the league and to their, to their club names and to the club brands. Because in the past, the Bundesliga was very conservative in, in terms of that. When I started in 2005, the Bundesliga was only broadcasted in 138 countries. And uh, 2005, you remember, the Bundesliga and a few years before we had four Champions League final appearances and won two times the Champions League and in 2005 we had less than 20 million dollars turnover all around the world and Premier League already had around 150 or whatever. Then the Bundesliga was very very conservative in, in, if, if you want to name it that way. We have to do both at the same time. We have to globalize the Bundesliga, we have to globalize the brands and on the other hand we have to, let's say, keep our roots in the society. This is very much deep in the DNA of the Bundesliga and as I said, it's tough. I do believe that it is possible to be both in the society with deep roots and on the media landscape worldwide recognized as one of the best leagues in the world, but we have to work. We've been saying all day, these leagues, their position, their reality, it's not static, it's always changing. Yeah. When you inherited your role, German football, I mean, how we think about German football now and how it was then, just describe the difference, because it is mind-blowing. Football at all changed a lot in the last 10 years. For instance, a few years ago, the, the, it's a very, very interesting number, the ball contact time, which means the, the time the player had the ball um, was three seconds. Today, it's one second or less. So the game is much more faster, it's much more physical, and, and the whole game changed. And maybe that this example fits very much uh, to the role of the Bundesliga, because when I started 2005, in the UEFA five-year ranking, you probably know that the UEFA is ranking all of the leagues because of the results in the European um, Champions League or Europe League. And in the five-year ranking, Germany was so close to be overtook by Romania. 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 <laughs> Fortunately, I didn't know that ranking before I signed my contract <laughs> because I didn't work in football and so I wasn't aware that there was a ranking like that. And that was 10 years ago. That was 2005. And what changed the whole thing was inventing the youth academies and said, okay, football was too bad. We have to educate our own players. And the real interesting thing is the decision of inventing football academies because German football was too bad was done right in the middle of the most successful period of German football because it was done in the year of 2000 because a very weak European championship in 97, 99, 2001, 2002 German clubs were in Champions League finals so from a league perspective you would say everything is fine but from a national perspective the football was poor and this is where the decision was done to have a youth academy is an obligation to play Bundesliga and because we are Germans and we love rules and we follow the rules <laughs> and um, sometimes too much rules, but everything is, is written down in clear rules. How many pitches, how many coaches, the quality of the coaches dedicated to youth academies and to young players. And each club who plays Bundesliga today has to have a youth academy and he has to have a team starting with the under 12 up to the under 23. If he doesn't have a youth academy, wow. he isn't allowed to play Bundesliga. You produce so many great young players. I mean, you produce enough not only for your own international team, but half of ours also. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, on behalf of America, thank you, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we love Fabian Johnson. 
We love Bobby Wood. How much do we love Bobby Wood right now? By the way, Fabian Johnson plays for my team, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Outside, when the office closes, I'm a fan of Borussia Mönchengladbach. Until it opens again. <laughs> he plays a little too much for your team and not enough for ours. But we love him. I can't think of a league. I mean, the English Premier League, certainly not. A global league where you can say as a mark of pride, we make our players rather than buy them. Uh, I think we have to do both. You cannot be a world-class league just by self-educated players because the game is too global. And if you have less money, you have to do something, you know. And this is maybe one character of the Bundesliga that we're trying to develop our own very, very good players. And on the other hand, you buy real high-class players from all around the world, no matter if it's Lewandowski or Robin or Aubameyang or Kagawa or right now um, uh, Muto or Chicharito. And this combination of real good German talent combined with world-class players from all around the world is the character of the Bundesliga today. Youth development, fantastic. I mean, there's other parts, other traits, other values of the Bundesliga I'm fascinated by in this local global thing. The structure of your clubs, the 51% rule. <laughs> the 51% rule means there can be no majority owners. Ownership has to be intrinsically kept in the hands of fans and I guess inherently closer to their locality. Is that another inhibitor? I mean, it's a wonderful trait. It means that you don't have the oligarchs swooping in, you don't have kind of the petrodollar money uh, sweeping in, but is that also another inhibitor, Christian? Mm. I would not blame any model of a league that allows owner in a classic way. I mean, you're allowed also to have the majority of a club in Germany, but uh, only after 20 years of very strong involvement with the league. It has advantages, that model, but I, I will not pretend that it's an only advantage because at the Bundesliga is getting more and more global. The competition is getting harder and harder. You need more money and you need uh, more capital. And therefore, the, this, this rule has also a backside, like every medal. But this is the idea of what I said, keeping the club somehow linked to the society. And we just want to not have the clubs treated as pure products. But on the other hand, you see in the US and also in England, a lot of very, very serious and good investors who prove that it's not only about the product and that they have a long-term commitment. So I would not blame the business model of any other league. Each league has to decide what's best for it. I want to talk about another amazing phenomenon in your league, which is also complicated. Bayern Munich. They've won seven of the last 10 titles. They are the face of the Bundesliga their wealth, their power, their on-field super dominance. How much of an amazing asset is it? I'm guessing it's the one that brings eyeballs, but their uber dominance, I mean, is that something that, where you feel that it reduces the competitiveness in terms of your global marketing? Bayern Munich, yes, today is the strongest brand of the Bundesliga. Borussia Dortmund had made very, very good development over the last years, but we have to be aware what great growth opportunities we have. And of course, Bayern Munich helps there, and also Borussia Dortmund helps there to bring these clubs also to a broader audience. For instance, we have one very, very good club, where Özil, for instance, plays once in Bremen. It's close to the north, you know, they have a big harbor, and every time they score a goal, there is this ship siren. This <laughs> it's very cool. Or Cologne, they have a living goat as a mascot, a living goat. Greenpeace doesn't like it, but the fans love it. And, <laughs> and so we have, we have 
really something to discover in the Bundesliga. And this is why we're happy that we are right now with Fox, because it's much easier to find us. Because I have to admit, it was hard to find the Bundesliga. And um, together with Fox right now, we, we are very happy with that contract, and we are very positive about the future. Here oh, in the all US. those people from MLS at the back there, right? Living goat. <laughs> it's the future. Um, a question. From one of our we listeners. had last season one forward. Um, he scored a goal in the 92nd minute, and then he ran to the goat and tried to kiss her. <laughs> you get some very interesting cross-marketing opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At Mark Woodruff, one of our listeners suggests you introduce a golf handicap system. Sides playing Bayern should get a head start, mandate the half-time blindfolding of Manuel Neuer. I mean, the other challenge that is fascinating right now for you, I mean, the last transfer window, mm -hmm. Premier League players, De Bruyne, Firmino, Son, $222 million worth of players went in one window. I mean, this is before the Premier League's new TV deal kicks in. Does that keep you awake at night, or do you just look at the enormous piles of cash that you've extracted from the Premier League? This is part of European football. Okay, and the Premier League, they, had, they have two very, very strong media companies in their country, and when they decide to bid so much money, it's hard to make not so much money out of it. And of course, Richard, and his, who was here on stage yesterday, his team, they were doing a very, very good job. Um, but it's a very, very specific situation in that country, and usually the media contract that a league is doing tells more about the media landscape in that country compared to the league by itself. Okay? But I have a different view on that no matter how much money is in the market, no matter if it's two, three, five, six, twelve billion, there will always be the 300 best players in the world. You cannot double the number, okay? There will always be the 300 best players in the world. And if you take the five best teams in England and the whistle comes and the, and, and the game goes on, then you have 55 players on the pitch. More than 11 is not allowed. Same is in Germany. We have the 55 best players in the, in the first five teams. And so my job is not to arguing about media contracts of other leagues. Our job is to create and to work on the framework that our clubs are able to compete about these best players in the world. And you should not forget that football is a very, very complex game. It's about orchestrating 11 players. It's not about the best shirt-selling player. It's about orchestrating 11 players in a tactical, technical, and physical way. And when you look back at the, at the World Cup, in front of the first game, everyone was talking about how many goals Cristiano Ronaldo will score. And in the semi-final, the injury of Neymar was a big issue. And in the, in the final, it was all about will Messi won the first title. And at the end, it was a very young, German team that won, and 16 players are still playing the Bundesliga. This is what football is all about. I mean, you say it's a very complex game, but there is that classic old Gary Lineker adage. It's a very simple game. 22 men kick a ball around for 90 minutes, and at the end, the Germans win. Unfortunately not. <laughs> I do want to go back to, though, you talk about closing that gap. I mean, that unique shared ownership model in the Bundesliga mm -hmm. that prevents single, powerful owners in the main. I mean, is there a, the straightest line to ending Bayern's dominance would be to allow these 
couple of shakes, couple of oligarchs into the Bundesliga. Is that in your crystal ball? Is that a future possibility or is that just an absolute ironclad no-no? What we have to do is we have to do our best that we keep, as I said, our league between the three top leagues in the world, that we try hard to create a framework that our top clubs are able to compete with the top clubs in the world. And from today's perspective, from the top 20 revenue clubs in the world, we have four. From the top 10 ranking at the UEFA, in terms of uh, results, we have two, which is pretty good. It's the same like England. And the good thing and, and the great thing in, in, in the media landscape today, as I said, each fan has to decide what league he likes most. You know, And therefore, um, we are not running so much behind the carrot and, oh my God, we have to come to this Premier League money. We will not come to that money in a short period of time because we have a different media landscape in our own country. But this is not what it's all about. You know, From today's perspective, we make round about 3 billion turnover, which is not so bad. Our players can afford two warm meals today. And so um, this is where we will work on to keep the DNA of the Bundesliga as a very entertaining game that people like to follow all over the world. Following all over the world, I mean, how do you view from inside the Bundesliga the growth of the game in the United States of America? I think that the MLS has made a very, very good development in the last years. I remember when in 2007, I guess, I, we had a meeting with, with Don Garber and Ivan Gassidis, who's right now in, in Arsenal in Miami around a not a so fancy conference like you have here, um, but they had a beach outside. And, um, <laughs> no pies, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we were talking about what, what's going on in the MLS, and I think the MLS and the owners have made some very, very good decisions by investing in dedicated football stadiums, because it's a, it's a complete different thing. If you see a football game in a packed stadium, 25,000 people, standing, shouting, singing, or taking these 25,000 people and put them in a 75,000 baseball stadium to watch a football game. There is an interesting uh, research of the FIFA. The two countries where most people in the world are playing football is number one, China, 27 million, and number two, United States, 24 million. And today, more people in the United States say they are interested in football than people live in Germany, you know? Over 80 million people in the United States say they're interested in football. And Do they mean the NFL? Or? No. <laughs> I think this country has a very, very good position to... Everyone was talking about for years about a sleeping giant, but then it comes back to the youth academies again. For instance, Netherlands, 14 million people are living there, 14. And a seven-year-old Dutch boy or a seven-year-old German boy or a seven-year-old US boy, they are not more or less talented. They're all talented in the same way. The point is, you have to find this talent and you have to educate it. And this is why, most of all, it comes to the system and the quality of the coaches. And Netherlands, for years, had the best coaches. We copied this system a little bit. If you look at the seven teams that play Champions League and Europe League from Germany, we have six German coaches. In the whole Champions League, you find not one English coach. In the whole Champions League. This is, has nothing to do against England. I just want to explain the difference of the system. You have... <laughs> <laughs> you really love your country, huh? Uh, you love yeah, your country. Am America. Okay. <laughs> I love... Believe me, I love America. <laughs> no, but... No, no, no. 
No, but the point is, but the, but the point I is. I love it like Yentl loves it. I love it like Scarface loves it. I love America. Go on. <laughs> but the point is, you have to have a whole system. And this is what China made when President Xi said football is a state goal. The first thing he said, he wants to educate coaches. 300,000. China. And <laughs> if you have this system of finding the talent and educate them, of course, the United States can bring up world-class talent also. And I'm personally, I'm convinced in the next 10, 15, 20 years, you will see more active national players from Europe playing in the United States, I'm sure. From your mouth to God's ear. But as a televisual audience, how do you view America? How, how does, in terms of, for the Bundesliga, mm -hmm. the growth, I mean, 150% increase in Premier League televisual properties over the past three years. The big teams have poured into America. Bayern Munich, very creatively, set up an office in New York and are targeting the American audience in a very thoughtful way. Schalke have stepped in and are, and are making inroads too. How much of a priority, I mean, you look at Asia, you look at parts of Africa, where, where does the United States rank as a priority for you in terms of building the brand that is the Bundesliga? Oh, today there is no single market. The market is the world. In fact, we have to be there because all the others are also there. But on the other side, I think also in Germany, there is, for, for leagues like the MLS, there are some chances because media landscape today, you know, you have room for so many channels and so many programs. Let's say the flood raises a lot of boats, you know. We are very sure that our job was we have to improve our media broadcast uh, contracts. We have done this, and right now the league is accessible all over, all over the world. And right now it's the job of the clubs that they go out and be more innovative about it. Of course, social media helps there a lot because you can be accessible for the fans 24-7. There's so much football on television here, though. EPL, Champions League, MLS, La Liga. What does your research suggest to you about the nature of the opportunity here? I think we are in a very good position because the fans like... The Bundesliga is, let's say, a little bit best of both worlds. You know, the Eng England, for instance, is playing very physical, very fast. Italy plays very tactical, maybe less goals. The Bundesliga is a little bit both of it. And I think the style of play, what we see, is very, very well known. We talk in our international claim, we said more fans, more goals, more football. This is what we are, what we are f focused very much. And I think that the fans will appreciate today already and will appreciate the Bundesliga also much more. By the way, did you ever watch the Bundesliga game in the stadium? Or? Have I watched a game in a stadium? In a stadium. I watch a lot of your stuff on the television. But you've I never been there in a stadium? I have not been to... Uh, no, I've not been. <laughs> I'm going to go in the next year, I promise. Yeah? Okay, okay. But be because this is... When you see a Bundesliga game live, then you know what I say when I when when I, what I mean when I say it's more football because at, you mentioned it. Bundes Dortmund, 25,000 people jumping, looks scary a little bit. You have to believe in German engineering. It's hard in these days, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it's a it's a pretty good uh, it's it's a pretty good issue. You know, I will this year. I will report back to you. Is when when I say is one of my goals to go and watch Dortmund play and to stand on the yellow wall, I tell you, I will do that. And okay. I will report back to America. Then I invite you and Michael to Germany. And two of your fans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What you're clapping for, two of you have got to travel with us to Germany. <laughs> 
I pity you. That is a unbelievably generous so offer. So it's promised for Britain. You, Michael, and two of your friends, we invite you Long to Germany. And you I will have a weekend you will never forget. I, I promise you. I am flabbergasted. I'm sure Germans have a better word for that. <laughs> but we will, we will work out how to take your incredibly generous offer and work out a way in the most thoughtful and wonderful fashion to open it up to, uh, to every GFOP. That is amazing. Yeah, you come over and you will have a great weekend. You Watch out Germany. Your fans. Watch out Germany. <laughs> I want to talk to you, this is me. I can't really focus on that now. I'm thinking about <laughs> what I'm going to be packing. Um, <laughs> uh, everybody in Germany thinks I look like Iron Robin, though. <laughs> I'm, al I I'm always mistaken. I guess he has the same glasses. <laughs> I heard. I heard. <laughs> La Liga making huge efforts right now to try and promote a middle class of teams. Just beyond Real Madrid and Barcelona, trying to invest energy, trying to work out how to hook fans on the Atletico, Seville, yeah. Villarreal. Which teams beyond Bayern, beyond Dortmund, which ones do you believe are primed to break through in the American market? I think a very, very important platform from our research um, for establishing club brands, and you saw that, you see that, by the way, with Borussia Dortmund, is the Champions League. When I started in 2005, three weeks later, there was a press release from Borussia Dortmund in 2005 that they were very much close to file for bankruptcy. In 2013, they were in a Champions League final. Not only Borussia Dortmund, also Schalke 04, for instance, which when, when Raul played there, mm -hmm. he was very much a door opener also for that brand to the world. Playing in the Champions League is, is a very, very important platform because this is the only competition where you can, in Europe, really compete and talk about the strengths from your league versus other leagues. This is what I meant before. Each league has its style to play, but in the Champions League, it's all about the football. And then you see what style of football um, can, can maybe come through. You talk about Raul at Schalke. What about Chicharito? Have you felt much of a Chicharito effect in North America? In the research, yes, and also in the, when we saw the, the ratings on Fox Desportes. And Chicharito is a very good player. And I think this is also a very good thing, what we talked before, Roger. The, not every player fits in every league. You know, Kevin De Bruyne, before he came to Wolfsburg, he was more or less number 18, 19, or 20 at Jose Mourinho at, at Chelsea. Right now he fits to Man City, but he has to fit, again, what we said before, in the team and in the style of play. And England has a several styles to play, and I think Chicharito, he is already very good, but he will get much more better because it takes time to get used to the style of play in the Bundesliga, which is, as I said, physically and tactically very intense. I mean, Chicharito has the bond with the Mexican market of a common language. How much of a problem has it been in your kind of global strategy, just the, the basic language? Yeah. And, and the fact that the English Premier League also, I mean, England used to have an empire, and so it can market football back to the English-speaking lands yeah. that, it used, that it was kicked out of. Yeah. <laughs> of course, this is an advantage. I mean, uh, even today, you have some German national players, very good players. They are not really good in English, in English language, which we need to improve. What do you believe is possible as you look out at the next mm. 10 years of Bundesliga growth, Christian? Yeah. I think if it's only about the money, Real Madrid or Manu would have won the last 10 Champions League titles. A little, what you see, what you see in, in European top league football is a little like that. What you have here in the US leagues 
which is very much forced um, through the salary cap model. You know, it's very, very exciting, and it's very unpredictable who wins the Champions League at the end. It's more or less relatively predictable who wins the national leagues. Even if you look at England in the last leagues, it was not that in 10 years you have 10 different champions, or in Spain. I guess in 50 years, uh, Real and Barca won 42 titles. But this must not automatically be a disadvantage. When the Premier League was founded mid of the 90s, in the first 11 or 12 years, Manchester United won eight times the title. And no one was telling about, oh, what a boring era. That was, that, oh, that was the time where the, where, the, where, the Prem, where, where the Premier League's image was founded. So we will not see, in a long run, clear tendency now. Today, it's maybe um, Spain, and then it's England again, and then maybe it's Germany again. But I think England, Germany, and Spain, from today's perspective, they have a very, very good future. Italy is, is uh, having some issues they have to solve about, most of all the stadium infrastructure, for instance. And Italy is the fourth league. Um, France is a little bit more away. I want to say I admire what you do. I admire how you do it. I mean, in a football world which is so often money first, commercial growth first, to navigate the self-restrictive structures which harness ultimately everything that's great about the Bundesliga other than the youth development and the fact that you're bloody good at football. Just that joyous, delirious, authentic, fan-first football. I mean, in many ways, you are like the anti-Premier League in the, in the kind of local fervor and the authentic color and the deep custom and the deep tradition, all of which, I honestly, thanks, thanks to your generous offer, I cannot wait to see uh, absolutely firsthand. I look forward to watching how our colleagues at Fox work with you to make sure the Bundesliga narrative takes hold in America and grows and grows and grows. We hope you will keep coming back and keep talking to us on behalf of this American audience, many of whom are absolutely going head over heels for the Bundesliga. Thank you very much. Thank you. Fantastic. Oh, what a gent. We are thrilled to welcome the Bundesliga back into our loving bosom this weekend. And as for Christian's generous offer to send two GFOPs to Germany, we're working out the details of a contest to determine the winner. Bad news being, you're probably going to have to go with me and Davo. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for more on that and courage. Or as they say in German, Mut. <laughs>